We're going to be starting in the book of Luke 22, and then we're going to move to Matthew 27. So Luke 22 is where we'll be starting off our text at. In the last section that we've, in this last section, I should say, of the Gospels that we are considering, we need to remember what all has been going on. We've had Jesus struggling. He was, before really the betrayal took place, you had Jesus in the garden. If you remember, remember the, he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. The stress on him was unreal. And he was, the, the scripture says, he was at the point of death. He was hurting, just getting ready for the, just in the preparation stage of going into what we're looking at right now, our Lord was hurting. He was, the, the Father had to send an angel to minister to him, to strengthen him because of the suffering he was going through. And then immediately, as he's going through that, I should say, he's going back and telling the disciples, you need to pray, you need to pray. And he's trying to get them warned. He's even in the middle of the worst time of eternity for him. He's caring about his disciples. And then, then immediately after that happens, as he goes to the disciples the last time, Judas is on his way up the mountain. And he's got about a thousand people with him. The Romans, the temple police, they're all coming up to get Jesus. They arrest him. And then Jesus is taken to the what we've been looking at, the, the sham trials. He went to Annas' house, he, then he transferred over to Caiaphas', Caiaphas place. He went and he, he had these mock trials, and right in the middle of these mock trials, one of his key guys, Peter, is, in the, is denying him three different times. So G, and Jesus knows this is happening. Because if you remember, that last time that he denied him, he said, Peter turned, I mean, Jesus turned, and he, he looked at Peter. He knew all that was going on. And keep in mind, this all happened in one night. This probably kicked off around 10 o'clock, I mean, 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock at night. And by the time Peter denied him that last time, it was th about 3 in the morning. So in these few hours, all of this has happened. And Jesus is suffering through every bit of that. I can only imagine the turmoil that Jesus was going through as he endured all of these different attacks, whether passive or active. He was going through multiple attacks and he went through all of that for you and me. If we leave here with nothing else today, we need to leave here with this understanding. He did all of that to pay the price that we couldn't pay. We deserve hell. And He paid this price for you. So today, what we're going to see is these hypocritical Jewish leaders, these ones who have just had this these sham trials, what they're going to try to do now is put on a pretense. You ever do that? Put on a little show for people? Make it look everything's okay when inside everything's not okay? We do this. That's what they want to do. They want to put on this pretense of legality. They know that the trials they had, the trial they had, the two in the night, those were illegal. They weren't allowed to do that. So now they're going to have trials in the daytime. A trial in the daytime so that they can pretend that what they're doing has some type of a legitimate aspect to it. And then after that, we're going to look and see Judas's reaction to everything that happens with this condemnation of Jesus. So let's pray, and we'll look into our text. Father, thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that you are a loving God. Lord, I thank you for, for sending your Son to pay the price that we could not pay on our own. Thank you for being gracious. God, help us to be grateful to you. Help us to, to show our gratitude by following you and obeying you. God, I pray for us this morning that you would help us to understand the truths of your word. God, help us to apply them. Help us to yield where you desire us to yield. 
And Lord, I pray that you would, you would edify your people here. Lord, I, I, I ask that you would help my words to be accurate. Please keep me from error. And most of all, God, some way today, please glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke 22. We'll be starting in verse 66. Luke 22 and verse 66. The first thing I want you to see in this is the condemnation of the sinless. The condemnation of the sinless. Both of the trials that Jesus has gone through so far, the one with Annas, the one with Caiaphas, both of these have been totally unlawful. All of the rules they had, you'll remember some of those, they've broken. They weren't allowed to have trials at night. They weren't allowed to have trials in the home, at the dwelling of the high priest. They had to have witnesses. They could not allow false witnesses. All of these, they've broken. They've purposefully gone and attack their own law that they say they're trying to uphold. Now they're going to have the third one. This is the one we're looking at now, this third and final Jewish trial. And the purpose of this trial, literally, is to condemn Jesus to death. Whatever the charge is doesn't really matter. They just want Jesus condemned to death. And what, then what they'll do is they're going to send him to the Romans because the Jews weren't allowed to, to carry out the death sentence. So they want to condemn him to death, send it to the Romans, so that the death penalty can be carried out, so they, the Romans can do it. So first thing I want you to notice is the eagerness, the eagerness to condemn. Verse 66, Luke 22, verse 66. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priest and the scribes, okay, that makes up your Sanhedrin, that's who he's talking about. They came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Tell us. That's where we're going to stop for a second. They wanted to know, was he the Messiah? Now Mark says, and straightway, immediately, as soon as it was daylight, as soon as that sun crept up just a little bit, they needed a little bit of light, as soon as that point came, so that they could say, we didn't have the trial at night. We had it in the daytime. As soon as this happened, these Sanhedrin, they were gathered together. They were already meeting. They were, they were where they needed to be to make this sham trial look right. They knew that it was unlawful. And so they waited to get him in the daytime. And it says they led him into their council. The idea there, they took him to the temple area to the council chamber, which is where they were supposed to do the trials. They weren't supposed to have him at Caiaphas's house. So now they've taken him in the daytime, they've taken him to the place, to the complex that they were supposed to take him to, and now they're going to have the trial. The trial is still unlawful. Keep in mind, this is Friday, day before the Sabbath. You can't have a trial on, Sabbath, on the day before Sabbath. They're in the middle of celebrating Passover. You can't have a trial during the feast days. They're breaking again. This, this court hearing they're having, it, this is just as unlawful as the other ones were. And they're trying to find a way to make it uh, legitimate. See, they're not concerned with right and wrong. They're not concerned with whether, whether Jesus has done something wrong or not. They're just trying to find a reason. They've got, they've got the verdict. The verdict is guilty. Now they need a, a charge to bring with it to, to justify their death sentence. That's what they're after. Verse 67 says the question, gives the question, Are you the Messiah? Art thou the Christ? Are you Messiah? Tell us. So what they're doing, if you remember last time, Caiaphas is the one. They brought all the false, the false witnesses and they kept saying, uh, they, they made multiple charges that none of them agreed with themselves on. And then Caiaphas said, Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? I adjure thee by the living God. He put him under oath. Jesus needed to answer that one. And that was the question that got him in the Jews' mind. Are you the Messiah? Now it's important for us to remember something. From their point of view, from the Jews, in the Jews' mind, and I'll say even in the disciples' mind still at this point, their Messiah was not a spiritual Messiah. 
They were not looking for somebody like we need today. They weren't looking for someone to come along and pay the ransom for our sin debt that banishes us to hell. They weren't looking for that. They were looking for a political, military leader that was going to come along and banish the Romans, take care of business. That's what they wanted. Now you'd think, after what they just went through, when they went to arrest him, and, the, the, and Jesus came and said, Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said two words, I am. And you remember what happened to those thousand guys? Just flat on their backs. You would think that the Jewish leaders who were there would have seen this and thought, you know, this guy could do some business against the Romans. This guy's strong. Sin blinds us. Nothing's changed today. Do you get this? We can get so blinded by our own sin and you, you, you just don't see it. That's why we need people around us to say, hey, you, know, you don't need to be doing this. Multitude of counselors, there's safety. We get blinded by our sin and too often we're just playing pig-headed. That's not in the Greek. That's just my word. We're pig-headed people. The Jews, this is exactly what they were like. Back to our text. Jesus. Jesus has already answered this question. Are you the Messiah? So they could have called witnesses. That's what they're supposed to do. You, you remember, no one can be... You can't have one witness and find somebody guilty, and that it can't even be the person. If you confess, you can't be found guilty. So they could have found witnesses that said, we heard him say this, but they want to hear from Jesus personally are you the Messiah? Here's where I'm encouraged with this. Jesus knows exactly what they're doing. Jesus knows that he is being set up. He knows when he answers this question, he knows what they're going to do. He knows what they're going to say. He can already see the cross coming. He knows all of this, and yet he still goes down that road. And it wasn't like he had to go down the road because he was a defeated being. He went down that road to win the victory for you and me, to pay the price for us. He's going through all of this. He, he loves his Father, and he's going to obey his Father, and he loves us, and he's going to redeem us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to pay that price for us. Then we see the confession, Jesus' confession. End of verse 67. Okay, they asked him if he's the Messiah, and he said, if I tell you, you won't believe me. If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all, then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, You say that I am. Okay. Those first couple of verses, first verse and a half that we looked at. If I tell you, you won't believe me. If I ask you, you won't answer me, and you won't let me go. Here's what he's saying. You've already made your minds up. You've already determined what you think is truth. And Jesus, he didn't fit into their preconceived notions of what a Messiah should be like. So he answers them with this. When he says, you won't believe me, you won't answer me, that is the strongest negative that you can get in the Greek language. It's like saying you absolutely, positively, you, there's no way you're going to believe me. It's impossible that you're going to answer me. There's no way any of this is going to happen. He understands that there's no way that they are going to believe. They've got their minds made up. They're not open to discussion. They're not teachable. All they care about is Jesus' death. Now, let's bring it back here again for a second. My opinion, this is what I see in our culture today. We have got a bunch of people who are not teachable. A bunch of people who are not... We like to debate. We like to argue our points. We like to say what we believe. Listen, what you believe doesn't matter. It's irrelevant what you believe. What matters is what this book says. 
And if you believe what this book says, you're okay. But if you don't believe this book, you're wrong and it can damn you to hell. This book is what matters, not what you believe. There are so many people I've met. Oh, I believe this. I don't care what you believe. My church believes this. I don't care what your church believes. I care what this book says. And that's where you and I, we, we need to come down on that point. See, today, people, they want to justify their little pet sins. And too often, we do the same thing that these Pharisees did. We're really good at seeing the little speck that gets in our eye, but we can't see that log. And we end up justifying our own sins. Here's, the, here's one of the worst things with that. It is so prevalent in the church. Churches are no different. We're just a bunch of people that come together. Some are redeemed, some are not redeemed. I can't look in your heart and know where you're at spiritually. We're a bunch of people that we, we really are a bunch of selfish hypocrites. We like to do our own thing. And God forbid that somebody should tell us we've got a problem. That's where the Jews are. So what we want today is we, we kind of think that our version of Jesus is somebody who would make my life easier. Why would Jesus restrict me because He wants you to live like Him. He wants you to be Christ-like. We like to make up our own version of Jesus and we'll follow Him. That's not going to work. It's an idol. Because really what you're following is yourself. You're making up your own God. And we've got to be careful with that. That's what the Jews were doing. And you and I, we need to let the Bible dictate our lives. That's what it is to follow Jesus. And that requires some humility, and it requires some teachableness. It doesn't require our pride. Verse 69. Even though Jesus knows what's coming, they've asked him the question. He says, if I answer, if I tell you, you're not going to answer. You're not open to this. But still, verse 69, he says, Hereafter, from here on out, shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. That's a quote from Daniel 7. And it's a messianic quote. Jesus is saying with that quote, he's making it very, very clear, I am the Messiah. I am equal to God. He's making that point to them. Now I would say at this point, that council of men, they're angry. But I'd also say they're excited. Because here's what they're hearing. Or here's what they're thinking probably. We got it. We've got him. He's admitted to it again. We can hang this guy, crucify this guy. We've got him. So they're excited. But they're going to make it even clearer. Look at verse 70. Then said they all. They were all together on this one. They like this. Art thou then the Son of God? Okay, you've made your claim. You said Daniel 7 applies to you. Are you saying that you are the Son of God? They want that clarification. They want to have something else to be able to hammer that nail into his wrist with. They want to have, make it absolutely clear that he is claiming deity. And notice what Jesus says. You say that I am. In other words, you said it. You're right. I am the Son of God. Jesus is making it absolutely clear to them that He is deity. Now they can now they can go after Him in their minds. He has committed blasphemy. Point C, the final Jewish conclusion, verse 71. And they said, What need we any any further witness for we ourselves have heard it with his own from his own mouth we we don't need this trial anymore he's confessed he has said he is deity in front of all of us sanhedrin he has made it very clear so now they feel they're within their rights to request to have him put to death see the romans though they're the ones in control do you realize 
that if the Romans had not been in control, what would have happened to Jesus? They would have stoned him. They would have killed him with stones. If that had happened, the prophecies would not have been fulfilled. God worked all these details in the past X number of decades, century. He worked in having the Romans put in charge. The Romans came in and took over. The right people were in the right place at the right time because God orchestrated it. And He's made it so that Jesus' death will fulfill the prophecies. That's how powerful our God is. Our God is not going with the flow, if you will. He's dictating what happens. He is in total, absolute control. We have a powerful God. So you've got Jesus here. He's being condemned, not just by his own people, not just by the religious leaders. We think about this. The religious leaders are the ones, their whole goal in life, let's serve the one true God. Well, the one true God is standing there in front of them. And they're killed. They want to kill him. They're the ones that should have been the, the, the motivators, the, 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 the ringleaders, whatever you want to call them, to people worshiping Jesus, and they weren't doing it. He has been neglected by his people. He's been neglected by the leaders. And listen, it's not going to be too many hours away. His own father is going to turn his back on him. And Jesus is going to go through this, this event all by himself. And the reason the Father had to turn his back was because of my sin. Being put onto Jesus, his Father couldn't look on him. Again, he, this is the sinless Son of God taking my sin on him so that he can pay for my sin to make peace between me and the Father. And then I have the audacity to pick up my sin again and sin against Him after He's redeemed me? Do you see the hypocrisy with the way that happens in our lives? But that's what we do. We turn on the One who paid the price for us. And we just pile on more debt that He had to pay the price for. But our Lord loved us this much and allowed himself to be condemned because of us. We've got a good God. We should be praising him this morning for what he's done for us. So what's the best way we praise him? Follow him. Follow him. Stop living Rick's selfish life, going after Rick's precious idols, and follow Jesus. What else can we? Can, what else should he expect? That's what's reasonable, is for us to follow Him. Let's look at our second point. We see this condemnation. We're expecting this. We expect Jesus to be condemned. We know it's coming. The second condemnation is the condemnation of the shameful. That's going to be in Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. Now this is total opposite, polar opposites with Jesus' condemnation. Everything that we have seen Judas do so far has been shameful. Judas, 2,000 years after the fact, he, it's still known, he's still known as a traitor of traitors. Judas is a shameful person. I wouldn't name a dog Judas. He still has this reputation. And listen, Judas, right at this very moment, is getting exactly what he deserved. That's important. Judas is getting what he deserved. First thing I want you to see is this conflict. Judas's conflict. Matthew 27, verse 3 says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he, Jesus, was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. So it says Judas saw that Jesus was condemned. Here's what it sounds like. Judas was with, he had sided himself with a thousand guys, 
when they went to arrest Jesus, it sounds like he went right along with them. He went back and he's watched the trial with Annas. He went over and he watched the trial with Caiaphas. Now he's come up here with the Sanhedrin. Judas has seen all of this. He watched the trials. Get this. He watched the beatings. He watched the abuse that Jesus went through. He watched all of it. Now maybe, maybe he didn't believe Jesus when Jesus said, I am going to be persecuted, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified. Maybe Judas didn't believe him. Maybe, I don't think so, but maybe he thought that when Jesus got arrested, because remember they went after him other times and he just disappeared right through the middle of them. Maybe he thought, well, Jesus will just escape. It'll be okay. I can betray him, get my box, and he can just escape. Maybe he thought that Jesus would finally wise up and wipe out the Romans. At a minimum, at a minimum, at this point in Judas's life, in these verses we just read, it sinks in. They're going to kill Jesus. Jesus isn't resisting. Jesus is letting them beat on him. Jesus is letting all of these things happen. And it sinks into Judas. And he understands at this point what it is he's done because the Bible says he repented himself. Okay, here's what that means. Rephrase this. This is what it doesn't mean. He wasn't like Peter. Remember when Peter... He betrayed Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. He remembered Jesus' words, and he wept. He sobbed. Peter was broken. And what Peter did, now to a point, he did the same thing. He felt bad about his sin, but Peter turned from his sin. Peter turned back to Jesus. Peter followed the Lord. That's what repentance is whether it's for salvation. Repentance has to happen for salvation to happen. There needs to be a point in everyone's life when they understand, you know what? I am a rotten sinner. I have nothing to offer Jesus. Jesus has no reason whatsoever that He should pick me because I have nothing. I'm, I'm not bringing anything to the table. We need to understand that. And then we need to turn from that sin and we turn to Jesus. And we say, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you. I'm following you. I'm dedicating myself to you. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want. It's about you. Until that happens, listen, salvation never occurred. You can feel bad about your sin all you want, and guess what? You'll go to hell feeling bad about your sin. Until you turn to Jesus and you commit to Him to follow Him until He becomes Lord, Salvation hasn't happened. After salvation has occurred, same thing occurs. You need, as you sin, you turn from that sin. God, I was wrong. I agree with you. That's confession. I agree with what you're saying. That's sickening. It's wrong. I shouldn't do it. I want to follow Jesus. That's repentance. That's what Peter did. Okay. What is it that Judas did? Judas just felt bad. Judas just wasn't happy about what he did. And he felt guilty about it. Look at the exchange that happens here. In the end, end of verse 3, it says, He brought again the 30 pieces of silver, the chief priests and elders. He returned the money. He knew he had done wrong, so, okay, let's, let's, kinda, let's make up for this. I'll bring this blood money back that they gave me. He knew he was wrong for taking that blood money. He knew that he was wrong because he took a bribe to betray someone. He knew that was wrong. And I would say he knew it from the beginning. He wasn't surprised about the sin. But he didn't just know it was wrong. He also knew that Jesus was totally innocent. To take a bribe to turn someone in, to take that bribe, even if they're, guilt, if they're guilty, you're wrong to take the bribe. But Jesus 
was pure. Jesus was totally innocent. And Judas understood that what he did was betray the innocent Son of God. And Judas felt bad about it. Listen, isn't this a picture of you and me all too often? Here's, here's what I mean by this. We know when we're doing wrong. We know sin, you don't, you don't fall into sin. You die. You jump head for it. You want it and you go for it. We know when we're sinning. We know when we're doing wrong. Jesus gave Judas multiple opportunities. There, We saw warnings being given at the last table. We saw him as he came to betray him. I mean, even the, the very last minute, Judas, serious? You're going to betray me with a kiss? You serious? He gave him plenty of warnings. You and I know. We know when we're sinning. But here's what happens. We so strongly desire the temporary, cheap fulfillment that sin gives. We want that so much that we just totally ignore the glory of God and we say, God, forget you. I want this cheap, temporary fulfillment. It's worth more to me than you are. That's what happens when we sin. We're no different than Judas was. We have that constant conflict. If you're here as a believer this morning, there's that constant conflict. The flesh and the spirit, we go back and forth and they war with each other and we struggle with this. It's a battle. Scripture says it's a battle. We know what we should do. We're not different. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit pushing your buttons and saying, buddy, you better stop. This is wrong. But we purposefully choose to go our own way. That's what Judas did. Which really comes down to the matter of who you're going to choose to obey. That's what it comes down to. Look at the Jews' callousness. The Jews' callousness. Verse 4 I've sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to it. So Judas says real clear, I've betrayed innocent blood. Jesus was innocent. But look, the religious leaders, notice their words here. He said, What is that to us? Okay, here's what he's saying. That's not our problem. That's not our issue. Who cares if he was innocent? We're not worried about his innocence. We're worried that we get to put him to death. We want him out of our life. We want him to be able to make our life more comfortable. And that's going to happen when he's dead. That's all they cared about. The innocence didn't matter. They knew good and well he had done nothing worthy of death. They knew it. And here's what's happening. They're adding to their own culpability with that first phrase. What is that to us? They're increasing their guilt. Let me just tell you what's going to happen. One day there's going to be a judgment seat. And the person who said, what is that to us? That's not our problem. They're going to stand before the one that they killed. And they're going to be reminded exactly of what they said. That's what happens at the judgment seat for unsafe people. You'll stand before him and give an account. And then they said, see thou to that. Okay, that means... That's your responsibility. That's your problem. That's not on us. Now, partly they were right. It was on Judas's shoulders that Judas betrayed Jesus. Judas has full responsibility for the choices he made. He chose to rebel. He chose to take the money. And I'm going to tell you now, Judas is still paying for that responsibility in hell to this day. He's still being punished for that. And it'll be eternal. Judas is still in hell, but these leaders, here's where they were wrong. They did bear responsibility. They're the ones that said, 30 shekels, you do it. You know, We'll pay you to turn his blood over to us. We'll, we'll pay you for this. They had a part in this. When Jesus came and they could find nothing wrong, they're the ones that condemned him not Judas. They're the ones who knew that 
Jesus had done nothing at all wrong. They knew that Jesus was innocent. They knew it. And they still condemned him to death. I would put it this way. They took a really light view of sin. A really light view. And people, we do the same thing. We take a light view of sin. We need to be careful with that. We need to take our sin seriously. Too often we like to say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. I've never committed. And we go down the list. Your pride's just as bad as whatever sin you want to look at. And we need to understand it's not a matter of degrees. It's a matter of have I offended the Lord of glory? And if I've offended Him, guess what? I'm wrong. And we need to have a, 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 a we don't need to have a light view of sin as well when it comes to other people around us. Doesn't mean that somebody died and made you their judge. It means that as I see someone in sin, I need to love them enough to go to them. If, when you see a brother who's overtaken in a fault, we're to what? Restore them. Yeah, we go to that one. We're to do this. We should not have a light view of sin if we see someone else sinning and we just say, yeah, it's their problem, not mine. You have a light view of sin. And you don't love that person. That's why we don't go and help people. It's because we don't love them. We need to have... We need to ask God to soften us and help us to be understanding of His ways, help us to fall in love all over with Him again. That's why we don't obey Him, because we don't love Him. That's why Jesus said, well, you know, what's, the first, what's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. If we love Him, everything else falls into place. The reason we sin is because we love us more than we love Jesus. That's why we do what we do. We need to ask God to help us with this. God, help me to see things from your perspective. Help me to love you as I as you would have me to love you. And God can do this work. Third thing, Judas' closure, verse 5. Judas cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. That word, cast down, literally has the idea he flung it. He slung that. I've met people. I, I knew one guy. He's a contractor, professing Christian. I believe he's a Christian. This guy would be in a building where he was working and something would happen and he would fling a hammer across a building. I'll tell you what, listen, and, and maybe some of you were flingers too. I don't know. That's not how Christians act. If you're a thrower, I'm sorry, you're wrong. That's not how Christians act. That's what Judas did. Look at that's his response. He responded to sin with anger and with despair. That's not how Christians respond to sin. A Christian does not need to be, we looked at the, the anger part, he doesn't need to be in despair. A Christian should not be hopeless. What do you do? He went out and hung himself. How much hope, more hopeless can you get? Or how much more selfish can you get? Judas went out and hung himself. This is similar if you think about it. Back to when in the Old Testament, when you remember when David was being turned on by Absalom and Ahithophel, David's counselor, David's right hand man, the one that was right there for David, he had his counsel rejected. Do you remember what he did? He went out and hung himself. And now we've got the son of David being betrayed. And he went out and hung himself. Same things happened. Both of them were living in total despair. But it says here, Judas went out and hung himself. That's how he died. Now how do we reconcile that with Acts 1? Acts 1 says this, Acts 18 and 19, Now this man, Judas, purchased the field with the reward of iniquity. Okay, there's your 30 shekels that got flung back into the priest. And they purchased this field... And falling headlong, okay, headlong, the, the, the literal meaning with that would be like a face plant. He fell face first. Falling headlong, he burst asunder. He popped in the midst, in the belly, and all his bowels gushed out. 
ready for lunch. This is gross. That's what happened. It's going to get worse in just a second. And it, it was known under the dwell. It was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a keldama, which is to say, the field of blood. Okay. How do we reconcile these? When you put these two together, here's this picture you have. Judas hung himself. He died. Judas messed up most everything he touched. And it sounds like he didn't do do too good of a job of hanging himself. Because either that rope broke, or the branch he was hanging himself on broke, because he went down. And it didn't necessarily happen quick. Think about this. You know, we read that Peter was warming himself by the fire so the nights were cold. Listen, those days get hot. This was Passover time. Nobody's going to want to touch a corpse that's hanging because if they touch or take down that corpse, they can't partake in Passover. Judas probably hung there for a little bit. And what happens when you hang in the heat? You bloat. Can you imagine how easy it would be when that rope or that branch finally broke and he comes down and hits some rocks? How easy it would be to burst? This is a gross setting. The, the, gospel, the, the scriptures give us a very gross outlook because it was a gross crime. It was a gross thing that Judas did and Judas even died ugly. The whole thing is bad. That's how Judas's whole legacy gets closed off. He fell face first and popped. And his inside went out. What I want you to notice through this is that the response of an unsaved person is not the same, should not be the same as the response of a saved person. The response with Judas was he regretted doing wrong. I have met so many people that don't know Jesus and and, and they have consciences. They feel bad when they do wrong. I understand that. But listen, that's not enough. There must be a desire to do what's right. When people say to me, well, what's wrong with it? Wrong question. What's right with it? What is the right that I should be doing? I want, to, I want to glorify my Lord. That should be our passion, not just to not do wrong. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10 speaks of uh, a, a, a godly sorrow is one that leads us to repentance. Ungodly sorrow does not. Ungodly sorrow just kind of you know, regrets. And that's going to lead us to desperation and hopelessness. And without Jesus, that's all there is, is desperation and hopelessness. Judas's sin of suicide, it didn't relieve his pressure. It didn't relieve the sin. All it did was made it permanent. And now he's paying for it in hell, for, the, for eternity. That's what happened with Judas. Look at the fourth thing. The Jews' guilt is confirmed. Verse 6. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury. Doesn't hypocrite come to mind when you read that? It's not lawful for us because it's the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field, that's what we just read in Acts, to bury strangers in. So Judas slung the money at them. Judas hung himself. He killed himself. And what do they care about? We've got to make sure we keep Deuteronomy 23.18. And Deuteronomy 23.18, that talks about putting money into the treasury that was gotten from, from unrighteous means. Prostitution was one. I think the sale of a dog may have been. We don't put money into the treasury that's come from something unlawful. And they're worried about putting the, this defiled coins into a, into a money box when they're lying about and murdering the Son of God? They're hypocrites. And this, this is awful what they're doing. They're worried about the wrong thing. You see what I'm talking about? They're worried about the speck and not the log. They're worried about these little bitty things and not the major stuff that they should be worried about. So how do they solve their problem? Well, 
let's take, and it sounds like some time passed because they had to pull together a council. They had to pull people back together. They had to determine what to do. And they said, you know, Judas just died. He hung himself in this potter's field. Let's buy that field. Let's take this unclean money and let's go purchase an unclean field so that we can bury unclean people. That's what they're talking about at the end of that verse where it says um, to bury strangers in. That's most of us, Gentiles. So let's go buy this area that we can bury unclean people in. I'm not trying to minimize when I say this what these Jewish leaders did. They were wrong. But you and I can get so blinded by our own sin that it can stare us in the face and we just don't see it. We have no clue what we've gotten ourselves into. We, don't, we just don't. So how do we help ourselves? It's, it's, it's one thing to sit here and say, yeah, we've all got sin. We've got a sin problem. Yes, we do. But how do we help ourselves with this? How can we... Can we keep ourselves from falling into this trap? Well, can I just suggest a few things to you? Make sure you're having a personal time with God each day. Make sure you're in this book. Make sure you're talking to Him. If you're too busy to do that, you're too busy. Let something drop. Because God's worth it. He deserves our devotion. He deserves us spending time with Him. And listen, it'll help you. I'm not saying do it with this, let me check off my list mentality. I was talking with somebody recently and they were saying, you know, I'm really good at checking off a list. I get, I'm, I'm purpose driven. I want to do these things. You know what? I'd rather you spend time reading two verses and not check off your list and, and, and spend time with God. That's what matters. We need to spend time with God daily. Listen, there should be an active involvement within the church. Church is not just some filler that we do on Sunday. This is to help us. This is to exhort one another. This is to encourage one another. And let me tell you, you will not get exhorted and encouraged by this church when you're not here. And you're not going to exhort other people when you're not here. We need to take this seriously. God ordained this place. God designed this. We shouldn't take it lightly. We need to be spending active time with the church. And that doesn't just mean this building. That means the people. Let's get together with each other. And it kind of leads into the last thing. Get yourself some accountability. We get blinded very, very easily. You won't see things. Find somebody you trust. Find somebody that's going to tell you the truth and, and ask them. You see the sin in my life? Are there things I need to shore up in my life? Am, do I act like I love the Lord? Look, if you don't act like it, something's wrong. All of these things is going to require some teachableness. We're not good on that in our country. It's going to require some humility, and we're not good on that one either. But listen, for what it's worth, following Jesus it's worth it. It's worth it. And if you're sitting back thinking, oh, I kind of tried that, done that, I've been there, done that, didn't like it, you haven't followed Jesus. You need to follow him because he is worth it. Let's not fall into the trap of these Jews. Last one prophecy is completed. The prophecy is completed. Verse 8 Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value. So the children of Israel didn't value him very highly. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. So even in the sin of murdering Jesus, God used these Jews to fulfill prophecy. The clearest passage we have that, that shows these verses in Matthew that I just read in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. Now some, there's some others that aren't quite as direct from Jeremiah in 18 and 19. Multiple passages were fulfilled. The clearest is Zechariah. But Matthew mentions Jeremiah specifically. And I learned something. I didn't know this as I was preparing for this message. The Jews divided the Old Testament into three sections. They had the law, they had the writings, that would be your wisdom literature, you know, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, all these, 
And then they had the prophets. And the Jews, when they would refer to a certain book or a certain prophecy, if it was in the prophets, they would call it Jeremiah because that was their first book of the prophets. If it was in the writings, if it was in the wisdom, they would call it the Psalms. That was their first book of the Psalms. It may be in another book, but that's how they referred to that. I didn't realize that. The point is this. God can use our sinfulness to accomplish His will. Our God's an all-powerful God. He can do whatever He pleases, however He pleases, and He's not limited by us finite people. We have a good God. These are two sad accounts. They're sad. There's a condemning that happened that in both cases led to death. Both of them. Jesus' death was for our profit. Judas's death was his permanent loss. All of us have got to choose which one we're going to follow. Either we're going to follow Jesus for the permanent profit or we're going to follow Judas' way for the permanent loss. You need to choose wisely. Let's stand for a moment. If you're here this morning and you've never become a follower of Jesus, hear me, you're in Judas' shoes right now. That's the track you're on. You need to repent and you need to follow Jesus. You don't just need to feel bad about your sins. You need to enter into a lifelong commitment. And hear me, it costs absolutely everything. It's expensive to follow Jesus. It's not something that's cheap. It's not a religion we tack onto our lives. It is a lifelong commitment that we are making to the Lord. That's what you're signing up for. But the benefits are worth it. They're so worth it. I'd love to be able to help you. If you're not sure you've entered a relationship with him, pull me aside. Come forward when we have the invitation. Just deal with it. It's the most important decision you can make. Christian, you and I need to make the necessary steps to keep our lives pure with our Lord. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be teachable. We need to ask him, God, soften me. Help me to be open to what you would have me. You do business with God to see you.